We're in a series in, in the book of Hebrews called Better, and we've been exploring um, just the, the better vision that God has for our lives, the better understanding of, uh, of who God's son Jesus is, um, and we've been looking at that for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue out uh, of Hebrews for a while. And as we did last week, we jumped right into reading the text. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. If you don't, you can follow on the screen. And um, what we love to do in a series when we walk through a book in the Bible is, is really initially just let the Scripture speak. And so we're going to read them together. We're going to read this whole chapter together. And I encourage you just to let it breathe a little bit. You know, you know if you open a bottle of wine and you say you've got to let it breathe, well, let's let the Scriptures breathe. And, um, and I encourage you too, like, let's make this a moment of worship a moment of reflection. If you got a pencil or a pen on hand and a word jumps out at you from the scripture, circle it, go back to it later. It might not be what I address, but it might be something that God wants to get your attention about. So, um, so let's, let's read it together. Hebrews chapter three. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the times of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we've already been worshiping you, celebrating your grace, um, your message in our lives. We've also stood in solidarity with those around the world who are suffering, different pockets of the world. And um, God, I pray that even as we get this picture of Jesus in a greater way, may um, your people around the world in the middle of suffering get such a beautiful picture of Jesus to walk them through these difficult times. God, we just say welcome. We open our hearts to however you want to speak to us in these next few moments. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That baby joined with us. That was cool. 
You know, have you ever started a journey that's not that that's a little difficult to finish or a little difficult to continue? It often, you know, starting is easy. Who has a who has a really easy time starting stuff? Who has an easy? You can be honest. And who has a hard who has a hard time finishing stuff? Yeah, it's you know, some people are starters, some people are finishers. Um, it's sometimes rare to find that quality, both those qualities in people. Have you ever started to clean your garage? Have you ever started to clean your garage? Is it clean? Exactly. It never gets clean, right? It's something you, you start, but you have a hard time finishing. Uh, our family went camping this summer out in the, Adiran- uh, on the Adirondacks, and uh, we had intended, because friends of ours from Westside actually you know, told us about this place, and so we booked uh, you know, a spot there. It was, it was really awesome, amazing water and uh, ponds and lakes and things like that, and so it's perfect for canoeing. So we had rented a canoe for like two and a half days and kept it on our campsite, and the first day we just tried a couple of things and tried, you know, how far we can get. And we, we bought a map actually to help us uh, figure out how to do this three or four hour tour. That sounds like Gilligan's Island if you're that old, but so it didn't go that bad. We're still here. But anyways, we figured out what, you know, what that might look like. And so we got this map and we, my son and I were set on, we're going to do the three hour journey or three or four hour journey. And it was awesome, right? Canoe, fresh water, scenery, ducks, uh, little islands, uh, you know, following a mat, father and son type of trip, creeks, marsh, all that kind of stuff. And it started really well. It was really, really good. But there was this part of the map that said we had to walk 400 meters on land with our canoe that's called portaging. And uh, so we, we, had, we had gone through some great things, gone through a creek that was cool, gone through a marsh. We had, you know, ducked under trees that were over the water and a f- really cool stuff. But then we hit the, the land. And I guess my son, like, he was excited about the trip, but he didn't realize we were going to have to actually carry this canoe for 400 meters. 50 feet in, we're dying. Like, we're almost <laughs> swearing. And, but, you know, like... Like mosquitoes, you know, when you're, when you're holding a canoe and it's heavy and you have this much space to walk through and mosquitoes are biting you and you're just, you know, and my son just, ah, oh, it wasn't a great continual journey from the start. And we had some issues around that time and it became really, really hard to want to finish the journey, but we had to because we wouldn't get back to our campsite. We get that, right? Like it's so easy to start something, to get excited around something and then to just want to give up halfway through or even if we're not that far from the end. I'm sure you've come across that in a relationship. Starts really well, and then you realize, oh, I actually have to learn how to communicate with this person and understand them a little bit, and it takes some work. Or maybe you started a project at work, and it, it, it sounded exciting, and the vision was great, and you can see the end in, in sight, but you know, then it's like, oh, I didn't realize it took a lot of work to put this thing together, and I'd love to be there at the end, but this middle part is really, really tough. And this can happen as we follow Jesus. This can happen as, as, as we, we walk in the life that God calls us to as we follow Jesus. It can happen that way. And that's the context of these readers, uh, the people that are reading this letter uh, to the Hebrews, this, this church community in the first century, 60 or 70 AD, that are reading this, this message from this author called Hebrews in our New Testament. The, these, these Christians are hitting a hard time. They've started, they have fascinated with Jesus, they've put their trust in him, they believe in him, they're even meeting together with other people that believe in him, and they encourage each other and worship together and walk with one another, but they hit a hard spot, and they're hitting a hard spot, and they're feeling the persecution of 
their, their family and friends that don't understand what they're doing. They're feeling the difficulty of living in a culture that, that they feel so small in and marginalized in and maybe even affecting their own, their own uh, finances and decisions. They're probably questioning, is the future that we, we're, we see in Jesus really better than our past? And they're wondering, is it worth it? And, and I think just like this canoe trip, they're probably like, oh, I didn't think... I didn't think we were going to hit this piece, this piece of the journey. This feels too hard. Maybe we should go back. And the author identifies with them, and, and identify, he identifies this, this pivotal moment in their journey. And he wants to encourage them that they're not alone. And so there's this overarching message in Hebrews chapter 3 to remain faithful, to be faithful to the journey, to be faithful to what you've started, to be faithful to what you are experiencing and growing in in Jesus Christ, uses the words twice, or he or she, we don't know who wrote the book, but um, to hold firmly on this, in this. And, And in general, Hebrews points them to this amazing picture of Jesus. We read it in the last couple of chapters, and if you weren't with us, you can go back and read those chapters or listen to the podcast. This letter continues to point them to this amazing vision of Jesus. And here in chapter 3, the author uh, compares Jesus with Moses. And it makes sense because these, the people who are reading this have um, a background in Judaism. Their, their, their past, their foundation was in Judaism. And, and they, they were part of the, the local synagogue before they discovered who Jesus was and started following Christ and meeting with these other Christians. So, so the author compares Moses, who they very well knew, was like Moses is the big guy in Judaism, and with Jesus, and talks about how, how Moses was God's faithful servant in his time, part of God's plan, part of God's family, or how the author refers to it, God's house. But Jesus is God's faithful son, not just a faithful servant, a faithful son, greater honor than Moses, Not just part of the house, but the builder, the ruler of the house. And so the author is expanding their view of who Jesus is. And we learn a little bit about Jesus. Jesus is called an apostle and a high priest. So he is the messenger. In chapter 1, it was like God spoke through advanced sketches, but now he speaks through his son. God spoke in various ways in various times through the prophets, but today, now he's speaking through his son The sense that Jesus is called the apostle, he's the greatest apostle, he's the greatest messenger, he holds God's climactic message for humanity. But he's also a high priest who represents the world to to, to God and represents God to the world. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan. And the author's trying to help these formerly, a lot of them probably formerly um, Jewish people who still have a connection to their Judaism, but now have come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So it's still part of the same story, but now Jesus fulfills it. And, and the author does something else in this, this chapter that's amazing. He points them to what they already have in Jesus. I don't know if you caught it. He, he, says, he says, you share in this heavenly calling. You share in this amazing calling from heaven. It's divine. He, the author calls them holy brothers and sisters. They're set apart. Holy means to be set apart for God's purposes. And, and the author says, you're brothers and sisters. You're a family. You're a community. You're part of God's house. That's the other word he uses. He uses the word house. He says, you're part of God's house. That's like Israel language for God's people. It was the house of Israel. So he was saying, you are part of God's family. You are part of God's people. You are included. 
house language today in the New Testament would be the church. And Jesus says, I will build my church. I will continue building this house. The cool thing is that it wasn't only former Jews that were meeting, it was others. And so they were all part of this, this inclusion that we're all part of God's family here, part of this house. Why is this important? Because for these people who are struggling halfway through their journey, when they're feeling it's going to be difficult, the author says, I want, I want to point you to how amazing Jesus is in not just comparison to your past, but in the fulfillment of your past. And, and I want you to see all that he is and all that he's done. But as good as this is, I mean, and you can catch this, right? Like sometimes people invite you into something and it does sound amazing and they paint a great picture and you're on board. But when you hit a wall, when you hit the land part of your journey, when you hit, you know, the detour, when you hit the difficulty, the obstacles, you start wondering, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Can I make it through? And so as good as all this is, the author recognizes they're hitting a hard spot. And they need encouragement to walk through, to keep going. So the author helps them to say, what can you expect as you faithfully move forward? What can you expect as you faithfully move forward? And he doesn't, the author doesn't hold back anything. The author helps them see that there's, there's difficulty and there's joy. And there's, there's three things that we see in this. And one thing that, he, that the author says they can expect is to be tested. Now, that would suck, right? Because if I was 50, you know, 50 feet into my portaging with my son and we're getting bitten by mosquitoes and somebody comes out of the forest and says, don't worry, this is all part of the plan. You're going to be tested. I'd say, like, get out of here. Give me some off and help me, like, just get to the next part of the water, right? But the author says, you, you, on this journey, you need, to be expect, you need to expect that you will be tested along the way. This morning we read Psalm 95, the first seven verses, and it was so amazing. It was celebrative worship. But then this author quotes the rest of it that ties us back to the story of Israel, and we read it in a few verses, from verse 7 to 11, it's the continuation of Psalm 95, which talks about a time in Israel's life when they were on a journey and God rescued them from slavery. They were oppressed by Egypt. They were making bricks seven days a week, 24 hours a day. God hears their cry, uses Moses at that time to come and through a whole series of supernatural events and amazing things, if you read it in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, God rescues his people Israel. And they are saved out of slavery. But the story doesn't just, it's not, it, it feels like, oh, that's a great start. And they're moving towards this promised land. But then they hit the wilderness. And it's difficult. And it's hard. And they begin to doubt. And the author brings in Israel's story to help these people who are not following Jesus to say, you will hit a time of testing. You will hit times when it feels like the wilderness And you feel uncertain that you're going to make it across. And he alludes to Israel's history when they were tested, when they walked through the wilderness. And some went through the wilderness and some never made it through the wilderness. And we're going to get that in a moment. But it's this idea that a test usually reveals what's really in your heart. Have Have you felt that? Like that a test doesn't often, doesn't just change you, but it often reveals what's in your heart. Have you ever been tested like that? A neighbor could test you. They come around and they bug you. And then you realize, wait a second, what am I going to do here? And whatever you do is not really changing you, but it reveals 
what's in your heart. I, had a, I have a neighbor that I was doing some work last summer, and so the person who was doing the work had this big trailer because he had to keep some wood on it, and so I got a permit from the city. It was all legit. I had a permit from the city for the trailer to be on my street. But it was, in, it was in front of my house, and I have two other driveways in front of my house. And one of my neighbors, a little particular, at the beginning, he was so excited. Wow, Dave, you're doing this renovation. And he'd come in the backyard and got excited and would look and touch things. And every day he would come by. And, and I said, are you sure that, it, like, that the, it's okay that this, this trailer's there? Yeah, no problem. But, you know, day four and five and six and day seven came. And, and out of the blue one day, I was just out you know, near my car, and here comes my neighbor, and he just freaked out at me. He's like, when are you going to get this trailer off the street? I'm like, whoa, what happened? I thought you were okay with it. And I thought, okay, I'll, you know what, I'll move it to this side of my, I live on a corner, and then I'll just bug my other neighbor for seven days. But uh, what could I do, right? Now, that test didn't change him, but it just revealed what was inside his heart. I'm not, you know, I'm not picking on him. This happens to all of us. A test reveals what's inside of us, whether it's morally, spiritually, relationally. And the author says, as you follow Jesus, you will find that there will be tests along the way. And it's not necessarily that God brings those tests specifically sometimes, but sometimes it's just life and circumstance and decisions. So we will be tested. Sometimes it's cultural persecution. Sometimes it's materialistic dreams. Sometimes it's hedonistic pleasure. Sometimes it's a false memory of your past, what these readers were dealing with. They're thinking, oh, the, it was so much better back then. And we, we can walk through things and they'll test what's really in our heart and what is really going on. But this leads to something, and, and it could lead to something greater, it can lead to something not so great. And it could lead to what's called, what we call temptation. And this is how the author shows what's going on with them, saying that this testing is revealing something and is, is hitting you, is rubbing you in a certain way, and you will have to have a choice. And so the author talks about being how, how the people of Israel and even these readers, this testing was leading them to be tempted, tempted towards what the author calls unbelief. Not believing. Verse 12 and verse 19, we get that. So verse 12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And when the author talks about Israel's story, he says, So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They were tested, and some of them responded to that test and were tempted with unbelief. And the question is really this. When we, when we come to this point, it's the, it, we're tempted with this question. Do we really trust God? Do we really trust God in this moment? Do we really trust God through this test? Do we really trust God with this leg of the journey? Are we willing to trust him? The other way that we can be tempted is through sin. And in verse 12, it continues. It talks about a sinful, unbelieving heart. But then it says, but encourage each other as long as it's today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness that during a time of testing often it reveals what's going on in our heart and we can be deceived by what the scriptures call sin that on this journey that seems so awesome at times there's a difficult moment a difficult leg of that journey and sin's deceitfulness can come in and often this, actually, this author equates unbelief with sin. It's not that it's wrong to doubt. It's not that it's sinful to have doubts. But it's coming to a place of unbelief where you reject God. 
where you say, I, I'm going to do this on my own, God. I'm not going to trust you. And sin has a way of deceiving us. It, it blinds us. It detours us. It often tempts us to think that something is better over here when it's not. It, it, it tempts us to believe that we should trust in this rather than what God is doing in our, in our lives. And it's interesting how the author kind of brings sin and unbelief together and says there's something related here with both these things. And it's not a plot to keep people moral or perfect. There's some connection with sin and unbelief when a sinful habitual pattern leads to a lack of trust in God. It's kind of like we get deceived with something, we fall into it, it becomes habitual, and somehow it plays with our hearts so much that it, it leads us to, to unbelief. It, 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 take, it tears away at our belief and loses or breaks away our trust and relationship with God. And it creates this wall at times between us and God. You know, sin is hyper-relational. Whether if, if, you, if you do something that is sinful or that you feel is wrong, it, you're not just hurting yourself. If I'm selfish, right? If, if my selfishness comes out... I'm not just hurting me. I'm hurting the people around me. Sin is hyper-relational. If, if my pride gets a, a hold of me, it's not going to just affect me. It's going to affect the people around me. It'll even affect our church. Sin is hypo, hyper-relational. It always affects our trust and openness with someone. And so that's why the author puts these two together. That when we fall prey to sin's deceitfulness, somehow there's this connection to unbelief. And so the author warns, he says, oh, be careful that this testing doesn't lead you towards unbelief, towards a hardened heart by sin. The, the word hard there is the, is the word in Greek called sclerosis, which means like if, if you have a jammed artery. So if your arteries are flowing great and pumping blood to your heart and you got life because of that, you can breathe, you can run, you can exercise, you can go to work. But once your arteries start getting jammed, you start feeling tired and weak and debilitated and less energetic. And the word hardened of heart there is the same word as, as someone would use in that time frame for, for you know, an, or we would even use today as a clogged artery. And you know what that means? It means that the hardness stops life from flowing. So the author's not, he's not, the author's not just worried about a hard heart. He's worried about life. Life is not getting through. Joy is not getting through. Energy is not coming through. Your spirit's not being fed. So coming towards a hard heart of unbelief jams your spiritual arteries and just stops you from being the person God's called you to be, from experiencing all God has in store for you. N.T. Wright says this about subtle deceitfulness of sin. He says, once the mind has been deceived, the habits go unchecked. Once the mind has been deceived, the habits go unchecked. This happens always in small little steps, right? Never just happens from one day to another. It's often our mind slowly being deceived. And then our habits going unchecked. And eventually it leads to a heart that is hard. And even a heart that is unbelieving and often to habitual sin. So what leads you to unbelief? What's, what's triggering your heart these days that would be de- deceiving you at times? That you, if, you would, if you just kind of like, like connect the dots of where that would lead you, that that would lead to unbelief. It's funny because I bet you most of us would say, that'll never happen to me. 
How many of us say that? So many situations. That'll never happen to me. Sin will never get a hold of me to that degree. This will never become habitual. My, you know, trying to kind of, you know, uh, cheat a little bit here on my taxes or here and there is never going to become like a full blown out thing. My, my view of, you know, people or my pride or my decisions will never, never like, that'll never happen to me. But once the mind is deceived, the habits go unchecked and it can lead us to a life where we look back and say, how the heck did I get here? How did I come this far? Because our arteries are clogged. So my encouragement and challenge to you today is get a clear picture of your spiritual state today. Say, God, what are you doing in me? What are you showing me? What are you even protecting me from? But here's the good thing. That sure, they were tested and there's this possibility of temptation. But but then there's this word that's said three times. And they're quoting Psalm 95, but it's the word today. It's such such an amazing word. There's an amazing thing about that word today because you, you don't have to worry about yesterday and you're not so concerned about tomorrow. You can just say, today. Today I have this new opportunity. Today I have this new grace. Today I have this fresh start. Today I have this springboard into what can be, what's next. But here the author is trying to say, listen, today his warning is don't harden your heart. Don't let it lead to unbelief. It can be, I think, unbelief or trust And those are the two options. Unbelief leads to this, just like Israel. That's why he brings out Israel's story. He says, look what happened when Israel did not believe that God was leading them. It led them to completely miss out on God's purposes, on God's promises. Israel's generation, post the Exodus, got completely lost in the wilderness. And a majority of them never made it to where God wanted to get them. Many of them died in meaningless pursuit. Because a heart of unbelief was their response to that day. N.T. Wright says this. He says, once you stop believing either in the God who called you, rescued you and guides you, or the future promised for you, you may simply go around in the wilderness and never get anywhere. That's so true. How many, how many of you feel like this, this season? Or maybe you felt like that. That's called a spiritual rut. <laughs> That's called, I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of kicking in the sand and not doing anything. But it happens. It's this progression that happens when you stop believing in the God who's called you, the God who's rescued you, the God who guides you, the God who, the God who gives you a promised future. Just like Israel, you can kind of just be wandering meaninglessly. But the other option for today, this is the beauty, it's trust doesn't have to be unbelief. Trust is entering all that God has in store for you, all that God has in store for me. And there's steps towards that, a practice that reflects this. And the author says at the beginning of chapter three, he says, fix your eyes or your thoughts on Jesus. He's going to say this again throughout the letter. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and priest. Here's, this is what the author is telling them. And he's telling us, Fix your thoughts on Jesus. The word fix is to consider carefully, to think thoroughly, to get a a real clear picture of Jesus because that is going to help you walk through a wilderness moment if you have it, a testing season if it comes your way, an obstacle if it hits you. 
persecution if, it, if, is, if that's what it is. Fix your eyes thoroughly on Jesus. I know you guys think about this stuff. I know you think carefully about stuff. Like my wife and I just had to buy a small, a little secondhand car. And seven or eight years old, we had a budget for it. And we spent a few thousand dollars. You know, three or four thousand dollars was our budget for this second car. But, you know, like I don't know how long I was on the internet looking for like what this meant. I was on Car Trader and Kijiji and, you know, private sites and uh, dealer sites. And, and then, you know, looking at reviews on this car and we knew what we wanted and we checked all this stuff out. And then the pricing and what about with this much mileage and that much mileage. And then when we actually went to see the car, I said, do you have any papers? Have you, you know, taken care of this thing? Let me see it. I'm going to take you to my mechanic because I don't want to just buy this car from you. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want it to stop on me the next day. Right. See, I went through all that trouble. In the scope of my life, what's a $4,000 car, honestly? In the scope of my life, it's not the biggest decision in the world. But I thought carefully about it. I I, I looked into it. And most of us do that with those kind of decisions. This author is saying, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Like, think carefully about Jesus. And if we compare three or $4,000 car our thoughts on Jesus. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. But often we just kind of take faith as it is. And we don't thoroughly look into who Jesus is and all these. And that's why this author over and over again is building this bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger picture of Jesus as, as the author goes on because he wants the readers to just think so beautifully and carefully and wonderfully and thoroughly about who Jesus is. And he's telling him, think, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Consider. And he uses this word, he says, acknowledge that he's an apostle and high priest. In other versions, it's confession, it's a confession of faith. Eugene Peterson translates this, he's the centerpiece of everything we believe. So that word acknowledge is like the word confession. It's saying, there's, acknowledge who the core of Jesus is, that he's the centerpiece of our faith. You know what that means, to, to confess that, to acknowledge that? It means to tell the truth about what you believe in Jesus. It's to proclaim and declare and owning up. I own up to believe that Jesus is the son of God. I declare with my whole mind, heart and body and life that Jesus is God's son and to live with conviction and confidence. And then the author uses words like boldly hold firm to that confidence, boldly hold firm to that hope. That firm grip on that journey describes the kind of person who's in Jesus. And we have that opportunity today. I love that fact that even if we're struggling even if we're walking through a difficult time, even if you're going to go through in the future a time of testing or a time of temptation, the scripture says today is an opportunity to hear God's voice. Today is an opportunity for grace, for life, for vision, for purpose, for a future. Today you have that opportunity. I have that opportunity to respond in belief, to respond in confidence. Let's stand as we slowly bring this to a close today. Here's just some final thoughts here. And, and I want to encourage you with this. As the author writes to these first century believers, what the author is telling them is, Jesus has fulfilled your story. What you once knew in Moses, what you once knew in uh, walking through your religion, that was part of God's initial plan. That was part of God's message to you. But, but here in Jesus, he has fulfilled that. And here's the word for you and me. Jesus can fulfill any story. Even if you don't have a background in in the Old Testament, even though you don't have a background in that faith like these first readers, but 
Jesus can fulfill any story. Jesus has been, God has been working in our lives, showing up, getting our attention, and when we come to faith in him, he can fulfill any story. But even though that's true, you will find tests throughout your life. They'll just, it's going to happen. Tests will come. But here's the cool part. Today, we have an opportunity to respond. We have an opportunity to hear God's voice. Verse 13 says, as long as it's called today. That means that every today, right now, we have that opportunity. We don't need to. We look through whatever we're walking through, and we have an opportunity to lean towards a hardened heart or to lean towards an open heart, trusting who God is. And so if, if I could leave you with one thing, that word today, where we, you know, the author quotes Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice. So can I just encourage you as we come to a close, today would you listen for God's voice? Today would you pay attention to God's voice? Even as we were reading this slowly as we started, maybe a word jumped out at you, maybe a phrase jumped out at you. Is God getting your attention? Today would you listen for his voice? And then when you listen, live, choose life. Choose trust. And then you can move forward faithfully. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus was God's faithful son. And Jesus fulfilled God's story. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he empowers us to walk through any, any season we, that hits us. Any season. Let's close in prayer. Maybe you want to take a moment and just practice this and just invite God. Say, Lord, would... How do you want me to hear your voice today? Just ask the Lord, Lord, is there something that has even taken place in this last 90 minutes that you are trying to get my attention about? Ask God. God wants to speak. Wants us to hear his voice. Maybe it's a phrase or word out of Hebrews 3. God's bringing something to mind or your heart, I encourage you to to dwell on that, to write it down once we're done, type it into your phone, think about it. And, And ask him to show you how you can live into that in trust and confidence. Father, we um we're grateful because uh, even as we read this text, we, we know that you know that there's going to be seasons of difficulty. You know that there's going to be seasons of, that are going to feel like the wilderness. And we say thank you because you acknowledge that. And, and Jesus, your son, walked through that. And we are not alone. God, may we be fully aware of the things around us 
that often will attempt to make the journey more difficult. And, and may we, in those moments, be aware that we can be tempted towards unbelief, towards the deceitfulness of sin. God, would you open up our eyes? Give us eyes of discernment to notice the things that are grabbing our attention away from the life that you call us to. God, give us eyes to see the things that will clog up our spiritual arteries and, and make our hearts hard and will choke out the life that you have in store for us. Because God, that is your purpose for us. You long for life. You long for us to have life and joy and peace and a vision of how you, we partner with you in this. So we, we say, yes, God, make us aware. And then, Lord, by the power of your grace, as, as strong as today is today, Lord, we look to you and we want to hear your voice and live and move forward in confidence. May we hold firmly to that in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for anyone here today who's maybe struggling and feel like there's a wall in front of them. God, would you break that wall? And some who are just making steps towards Jesus, would you show them deeper who you are? In your name we pray. Amen.